All right, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of The Actors Room. This is episode number seven. And today, we're going to talk about Robert De Niro. Bobby De Niro. I can't wait to talk about this guy. He is amazing. And I am doing this episode, and I can't believe how much I learned about him. It's incredible. So, hold on real tight, because we're going to talk about Robert De Niro. Here we go. My name is Jeff Tarowski, and welcome back once again to the Actors Room, talking about Robert De Niro. And... I want to start off by giving you a few quotes before we get started on his early life, just to do something a little different. Uh, doing research about Mr. De Niro was a little different from doing it about James and Marlon. I knew a lot about Marlon before I even started doing this. Uh, a little bit about James. And with Jack, I also uh, read a book about Jack about five years ago called Jack's Life. So I had a pretty decent understanding of those guys. I've never read any books about Robert De Niro. I don't know why. I just haven't. And during my research, I came across a lot of great stuff. And I want to do it a little different. This episode is going to be just a little different. Here we go. Robert De Niro is an actor that can illuminate a moment with shock and clarity. And virtually no dialogue. Here's a fantastic quote. Quote, these days, what the public calls great acting is often not even good acting. It's acting with a line around it, acting in inverted commas, acting which shows. The popular idea of great acting is a rhetorical performance at the extremes, preferably the extremes of degradation and despair. Such a performance seems to the public to require all an actor has got. Actors know that this is a false assessment. The limit of an actor's ability is a spacious and fairly comfortable place to be. Such parts require energy rather than judgment. Anything goes. That's the end of the quote. And that was from uh, a British playwright and actor named Alan Bennett. And I feel that quote really does relate to Robert De Niro and his talent. And I also love this quote by John Baxter in his biography on a book he titled De Niro. Quote, when he chooses to restrain himself, to rely on silence, Robert De Niro is among the finest performers of his generation. That he has chosen so infrequently to exercise that control is a tragedy. End quote. A great quote. I really, I don't know if I agree with the last part that uh, he that he has chosen to infrequently to exercise it. It's almost like he's saying that uh, he's not doing the best he can all the time. I disagree. I think Robert De Niro it gives one hundred percent all the time. Now here's a quote from Robert himself. I don't know why. I just love this quote. Here we go. Quote. I go to Paris, I go to London, I go to Rome, and I always say, there's no place like New York. It's the most exciting city in the whole world. That's the way it is. That's it. End of quote. The man loves New York. What are you going to do? All right. <laughs> uh, Robert De Niro was born on August 17, 1943, in Greenwich Village, New York City. His parents are Robert De Niro Sr. and Virginia Admiral, both of them artists. I found his dad to be a fascinating person, and here's a little bit about him. Robert Sr. was painting by the age of five. That's young. Uh, he later moved to New York City to continue his education in art. He attended workshops attended by painters such as Jackson Pollock. Senior was a painter and a sculptor. 
Uh, he would eventually venture out to Provincetown. Now, this Provincetown was a, a bohemian artist paradise. Um, a lot of uh, bright people. Uh, very... I, I, I don't know. It seemed like a lot of the lost souls, so to speak, would go out there and try to find themselves. I've been doing a lot of research about other artists, too, and I'm finding that this was a place to go back in the day. And uh, people like uh, Tennessee Williams, Marlon Brando, would frequent Provincetown. Uh, it seemed like a really happening place. Um, his dad ended up working in the same restaurant as Tennessee Williams. In 1941, he met Bob's mom, and her name is Virginia. Virginia was six years older than Senior and an artist herself. Uh, she was a poet and a painter by profession. Uh, she went out to New York to study education, but ultimately ended up living a bohemian lifestyle. Robert was an only child, and uh, he grew up in a salon on Bleecker Street. But in 1946, Bobby's parents got a divorce. He was only two years old at this time, and he went and lived with his mom in an apartment on West 14th Street. She got a job as a typist, but continued to paint. His father still was a big part of his life. Bobby was never coddled and had an opportunity to become his own person at an early age. He even joined a street gang on Kenmare. They gave him a nickname, and his nickname was Bobby Milk, because he was pale and as strange as milk. <laughs> I love that. Okay. His nickname was Bobby Milk <laughs> because he was pale and as strange as milk. Wow, that's pretty cool, man. He, I don't really know how milk is strange. I don't get that really. But hey, you know what? I guess maybe back then they thought that milk was strange. Okay. His, uh, his first performance was at the age of 10, and he played the cowardly lion in The Wizard of Oz. Uh, he dropped out of high school when he was uh, 16, and he never looked back. Uh, he then went on to study uh, with Stella Adler, then later with Lee Strasberg at the Actor Studio. So that's interesting. When I did the research, finding out that he first studied with Stella, got some great stuff from her, and then decided, you know what, we'll give the acting uh, studio, the Actor Studio, a try. Uh, see what Lee Strasberg is up to. So he got a taste of both of them. Uh, just like me, I went from the Academy to the Playhouse. Uh, you really do learn two different things. And it helps when you have different ways of going about to do your method. You just take a little bit of everything that you learn and you make it your own. De Niro loved to find out about himself through the characters he was exploring. It was a great way to analyze yourself. He was fascinated with the idea of submerging into a character and experiencing life through him without having to deal with the consequences. It's so, that's so great when you think about it. Being an actor is so cool. All right, you get to be another person on stage, right? And go through all the stuff that they're going through, whether it's being happy, scared, uh, being angry. You get to take out all your frustration, you know, in a very safe environment. And you can just leave it at the door. It's great therapy in a way. If you think about it, it really is. And then you get to dive into all these cool characters without having to, you know, have all of their problems. You just sort of go, okay, I'm done with that. And then you can just walk away. So that's a great thing about acting. And De Niro saw that. He appreciated it. He saw it as a fun thing to do. It was fascinating to him. Sally Kirkland was an old friend of Bobby's back in the early days. He was around 19 at this time and doing off-off-Broadway shows. Uh, Kirkland would go and see the shows and told him he was as good as Brando and that he was going to be a big star someday. De Niro would call her up and ask her if she was actually telling the truth. He needed constant encouragement and validation, she thought. And it was cute. A friend would eventually ask his mother 
what his key to success was. So I guess a friend of De Niro's got uh, cornered his mom and asked her, you know, so what's with Bobby? What is his, you know, what's his key? So this is what she said. Will. Force of will. That's it. Bobby was on a mission. Bob would be constantly auditioning. He would bring along with him dozens of snapshots. The pictures would be of him in many different characters. One would be a businessman, and the next would be a doctor, so on and so forth. Uh, He wanted to show the casting directors his range. Now, he would grab the attention of a young Brian De Palma in mid-1960s and appear in three of his films in the early goings. They were called Greetings, The Wedding Party, and Hi Mom. His salary for all three films was $50. He was still doing off-Broadway shows at this time, taking roles like a stand-up comedian and then a karate-chopping bisexual hippie. He had to break a board in half with a karate chop, so naturally he took karate until he can do it perfectly. He also did a movie called Bloody Mama, in which he played a morphine addict. He was so into the role that he refused to eat. All he did was drink water. He ended up losing over 30 pounds for the part and looked like he was going to die, some cast members said. And you're going to see a trend like this with Robert De Niro. He took his roles very seriously. And if he felt that he had to change his appearance to do so, he had no problem doing it at all. And no matter what, whether it affected his health, didn't matter. If it, he felt it needed to be done, he did it. Simple as that. We're going to talk about the film called Mean Streets. And this film brought De Niro and Scorsese together for the first time. That's a big deal. It was a low-budget film. And most scenes were shot with a handheld camera. Uh, Harvey Keitel was also in the picture. And De Niro and him would play with the idea of switching their roles all the time. And Scorsese's like, "Will you just shut up. You're playing your role and that's it. (laughs) That's funny. You know, Scorsese didn't want to hear it. These damn actors. Just, you know what? I gave you that role. Stay with the role. That's it. Just shut up. Oh, God. Uh, At at one point, uh, you were able to watch this film on YouTube. But I don't think you can anymore. I, I tried to look it up, and I think uh, you can watch it, but like you can only see like a little bit of the screen, and it's in a speed that's just ridiculous to listen to. Either it's like a little too fast or a little too slow in order to escape like copyright infringements and shit like that. I mean, YouTube's getting stupid all of a sudden. I mean, I don't know. All this copywriting shit, I, I understand. I mean, you can't have movies on there all the time, but whatever. I remember watching this film, Mean Streets, when I was in New York City studying acting. My roommate at the time, uh, he was a film student. He wanted to be a director. And, uh, okay, you got to understand, when I moved to New York, this was 1997, okay, I stayed at a a housing complex, which originally was called the St. George, and I think it still is. I'm not sure. I haven't been there in so long. It's been so long since I've been there and checked out that area. It was in Brooklyn Heights, and it was called the St. George. And basically, you know, it was a a hotel at one point uh, back in the day, a really nice hotel. But the rooms themselves are small. They're very small. They're big enough to fit two single beds and a little hallway in between them. Uh, Not a hallway, but a little passageway in between them where maybe two people can walk side by side. So our beds were pretty close together. And then each of us had our own little TV sets and a dresser. And that's it. So anyways, he was a film student. And he had, I don't know how many movies he had. But he had a lot of movies. And a lot of them that I never seen before. And I'm like, hey man, it's it's all right if I check out some of these movies. He's like, hell yeah, please. And then we can talk about them. I'm like... Okay, sounds good to me. So this was one of the movies that he had laying around, and I watched it, and I was just really impressed with that movie. Now, I had seen Goodfellas already, 
and this was way before Goodfellas, but you could see the early stages of Scorsese's brilliance as a director, the way he uses music, uh, slow motion stuff. Man, I mean, it's kind of cool how he was able to take uh, different little pieces of what he had seen in the past from directors and use them in a way that just made film directing cool. Don't you think? Because Scorsese's directing is very cool. You get to see for the very first time just how explosive De Niro can be. Calm one moment, then a volcano the next, just like that. I know I wouldn't want that guy yelling at me. He's so downright intimidating. I mean, he just is. Um, I just want to point out something real quick. Um, I will be approaching this episode the same way I did with uh, Nicholson and probably with the rest of the actors I highlight, and uh, I will only be talking about the films that grab me. Okay? All right, here we go. Next is The Godfather Part 2. He played the young Vito Corleone, and which is the younger Marlon Brando. Uh, Bob studied for four months to get the uh, Sicilian dialect just right. He spoke all of his lines beautifully, and he also did a fine job with mimicking Brando's raspy voice as well. Uh, he also lived in Sicily for three months. He tried out for the original Godfather, you know, when they were doing the original casting for the Godfather years before. Um, he auditioned, and I think he was actually called back a few times. Francis Ford loved his performances uh, in the auditions, so he never forgot about him. He considered him for one of the minor roles. I don't know which one. But he never left Francis's mind. So when he got to the casting process for The Godfather Part 2, he remembered Robert and he had also recently seen Mean Streets. And it was a clincher for him. Once he saw that film, he said, you know what? He's got to be Vito Corleone. I think he would be perfect. So that's what he did. De Niro made many different acting choices for the role uh, like growing a mustache which he went back and forth about he wasn't quite sure if he should have a little tiny mustache uh, but he ended up figuring that you know what I'm going to go ahead and do that so that was a nice little choice and it was also one of his ideas to use a towel to place on the uh, gun which he uses to shoot uh, his enemy in the film that was his idea as well uh, his acting in this film is relaxed, I thought. Very calm. I say that in a great way. It just looks like he's so comfortable being the Don. He found it to be very natural. Uh, De Niro ended up winning the Oscar for Best Supporting Actor for The Godfather Part Two. And what's interesting is he got that Oscar without speaking a word of English dialogue. It was all Italian. I love that. That's nice. His very next film will cement Robert De Niro's reputation as a serious actor with a bright future. Taxi Driver is a classic film that defined the early stages of De Niro's and Scorsese's careers. Another film that influenced me in the early stages of my schooling. Travis Bickle is crazy and a hero. He's a crazy hero, right? I love this little tidbit about De Niro and a sneak peek into what kind of a guy he really is. Listen to this. He signed the contract to play Travis before his success in Oscar victory in the Godfather role. His profile took a giant leap and the studio that was producing Taxi Driver were scared he would ask for the money he deserved which was around $400,000. Bobby took his original offer of $30,000 so the film could get made. How about that? I bet you that's rare these days. De Niro also drove a taxi cab for 15 hours a day for a month to prepare for this role. And he also says that, now this was after The Godfather, of course, and I mean he won an Academy Award, right? And months later, preparing for Taxi Driver, he's riding around New York City. I'm sorry, I stand corrected. He's driving 
around New York City as a taxi cab driver, right? And said that hardly anybody at all recognized him. He said that he was recognized one time. That's it. But that's amazing though. 15 hour days behind the steering wheel of a taxi cab in New York City. That is hard work, man. I love this guy. His dedication impresses me. It really does. His famous line of, you talking to me, was all improvised. I guess in the script, it said, he looks into the mirror. And both him and Marty thought to themselves, maybe you should say a little something here. You know, play around. And what you see in the film comes all out of Robert De Niro. I guess Robert and the uh, director, Marty, uh, were inspired to do this uh, you talking to me scene uh, from Marlon Brando's mirror performance in Reflections in a Golden Eye, which is a film I referenced earlier with Brando and said it's a very underrated film. You see a lot from Brando in that film, and uh, Scorsese and De Niro were inspired by that film and that part to uh, go ahead and give a nice performance in a very historic scene. Uh, here's something cool. Um, often method actors will relate their characters to an animal or some creature just to help them with their role. So uh, I guess Bobby saw Travis as a crab. <laughs> that was good. Uh, a moment to note in this film for me is when he takes Sybil Shepherd to that porno movie and, you know, she's embarrassed. And rightfully so. I mean, she has every right to be embarrassed, I think. But the good part is this. When they walk out of the theater and she's all flustered, I love the reaction from Robert De Niro here. You can tell he has done his research as an actor, and, uh, and this is why. He didn't know that he did anything wrong. Right? I mean, you get that from him. He just he didn't understand. And he even says, you know, I don't go really go to movies. I, he, you know, I drive my cab and I see couples going here all the time. I, I don't know I'm doing something wrong. It, it gives a little insight about how much De Niro really sees Travis. He really becomes Travis. And it's very cool. It, it kind of scary, too. I think he is able to separate when he walks off the set, I hope. And I think he does. He seems like a normal guy. Uh, actors sometimes, I think, find it hard to separate the two. If you really become that person, it might stick with you for a little while. I think that's only natural. And I think De Niro had, uh, I, wanna, I don't want to say he had an easy time getting into a character, but he was able to do it, and he did it very well. And that scene, I think, is a, a little insight about how deep in the research he goes to get under the skin of the character and actually become them. This film, Taxi Driver, gave De Niro a nomination for Best Actor. Okay, now we're going to talk about The Deer Hunter. Um, I watched this film about 25 years ago. And you know what? That is way too long. I haven't watched it since. But I got to tell you, I remember a lot of it. Although it was a long time ago, it really stuck in my memory. I love the directing in this film. Um, De Niro looks bigger also in this movie. Uh, the guy bulked up. <laughs> he did. He just looks bigger to me and more intimidating. Um, you can also tell that his progression as an actor is spreading in the right directions. Uh, this is the film that I see it for sure. Just like Nicholson did in Five Easy Pieces, uh, James Dean kind of did it in his first film, I think. He blossomed pretty well. And Brando, the same way. I, I also feel that he probably blossomed big time while he was on stage in New York. Um, I just wanted to note that just because there seems to be a point in an actor's career and from an audience's perspective where you get to see that leap. And I kind of like pointing it out because I could see it and I hope other people can too. And I'm sure some people will disagree with me and say, no, it wasn't that movie. My God, he did it in Taxi Driver. What are you talking about? Maybe. And you might be right. I'm, I might be wrong. But it doesn't matter who's right, who's wrong. It's all about what you see. And from my perspective, when I watch The Deer Hunter, 
it felt to me that's when De Niro made that leap and went from really, really great to something mind-like blowing. Like, wow. There he is. I see him. And he gets it. Love it. The uh, Deer Hunter is a slow-moving film, but it is beautiful. Uh, Bobby is part of an all-star cast, and the film revolves around the lives of a small mining town in Pennsylvania, and then most of the men are shipped off to Vietnam. You see inspiring performances by both De Niro and Chris Walken. The Russian roulette scene is one to watch and remember. Okay, here we go. Raging Bull. There is something about this performance by De Niro. Man, oh man. He is such a fucking asshole. I mean, an A1 asshole. So I guess Jake LaMotta, the guy he played, was a real nice guy. Real nice guy. Oh man. Uh, You know, when I watch him, this role that he does, he actually scares me a little bit. For real. Not kidding. Uh, He is so damn in tune with his acting ability. He's so confident. I mean, he portrays a real person. Jake LaMotta was a real person, a real boxer. And I think he was excited to take on a real person. I think he liked the idea that he could actually hang out with the guy that he was going to play and get it from, you know, firsthand about how he was feeling at this point in his life. And I am sure he was at his hip at all times. Here's a little more insight on who Robert De Niro is as a person. Martin Scorsese uh, was in a bad way battling his cocaine addiction. And Bobby visited him in the hospital and said, listen, snap out of it. And Marty's like, what are you talking about? He goes, I'll tell you something. I'll tell you why. Because you need to make this movie about a boxer. And Marty's like, you know what? I hate sport movies. I'm not doing it. And Bobby's like, yeah, you are. You're going to love this one. I guarantee it. So De Niro didn't give up on Marty. Said, you're going to do this movie. That's the end of it. And Marty finally agreed, said fine. And most will say that Robert De Niro played a large part in getting Marty turned around from his cocaine addiction. He was not doing very well at all. And I think uh, Bobby found that giving him a little bit of inspiration, get him back on his feet and have him doing what he really loves was the best way to do it. So good for you, Bobby. Um, De Niro went through extensive physical training and uh, even joined three boxing tournaments and won two matches. Him and Joe Pesci are really hitting each other in their scenes. De Niro gained a record 60 pounds for this role. 60 pounds. That's a lot. Uh, his main diet consisted of devouring stacks of pancakes at a time. There are many critics that say this performance is one of the best ever. I can't disagree with that. It's a powerful performance. The scenes he has with Pesci about his wife. I mean, he is just so sure that she is cheating on him. It's really pathetic and it's obvious. And De Niro's character keeps searching and searching and searching. And he will never get the answer he's looking for. And he drives poor Joe Pesci crazy. He ended up winning Best Actor for Raging Bull. And uh, he was there at the Oscars. He wasn't there to uh, get his first Oscar because he was working on the movie 1900 at the time, and Francis Ford actually went up to the podium to accept his, uh, his Oscar for Best Supporting Actor, but he was there this night, nominated for Best Actor, and he wins. And I am going to go ahead and play that clip for you, just a little bit of that clip, his acceptance speech at the Academy Awards. Give a listen. I, uh, I want to thank everyone. Uh, this is said so often, but it's, it's true and it's, what can I say? I want to thank Bruno, Richard Bruno, for the terrific costumes. Frank Warner, Sis Corman, Pete Savage. And if Pete wasn't involved in the film, or he wouldn't have gotten it started. I'm a little nervous, excuse me. Uh, 
It never would have, the film never would have gotten started. Uh, Mike Westmore for the makeup, Mary Keats, the late Gene Burt Riley, Erwin and Bob, Erwin Winkler and Bob Chartoff, Vicky Lamada and all the other wives, and uh, Joey Lamada, even though he's suing us. <laughs> I hope that's settled soon enough so I can go, to, go over to his house and eat once in a while. And Mardik Martin and Paul Schrader, who wrote the script. And, of course, Jake LaMotta, uh, whose life... It's all about. And, uh, Marty Scorsese, who... Gave me and all the other actors and everyone on the film all the love and trust that, that anyone could give anyone, and it's just wonderful as a director. And um, I want to thank my mother and father for having me, <laughs> and my grandmother and grandfather for having them, <laughs> and uh, everyone else who involved in the film, and, and I hope that I can share this with, the, with anyone that it means anything to, and the rest of the world, and especially all the terrible things that are happening, and. I love everyone. Did you hear how nervous he was? I mean, his voice starts to shake in the beginning there, and it's noticeable. And he says, oh, sorry, I'm a bit nervous. And he was. And through that whole speech, you could realize how uncomfortable he is being in a situation like that and uh you know there are some actors i think a lot of them too that aren't very comfortable around people that they don't know or feel comfortable around when you're standing up in that podium i'm sure it is very uncomfortable for somebody like robert de niro so i thought that playing that clip you get to feel that about him and it's pretty nice to see there is not much fakeness with de niro and these are the kind of artists you should look up to. That's just my opinion. Robert De Niro hates giving interviews. He would give them when he started doing films and wondered, what was the point? Does it matter where I went to school? What my hobbies are? What does any of that have to do with acting? Nothing. Nothing at all. Now, I have seen the Actor Studio edition with Robert De Niro as the guest, um, and I have to tell you that it doesn't look like he's uh, having a good time. It doesn't look like he enjoys talking about himself. And I have no idea why he went on there. I mean, they, they must have begged and kept calling him and kept calling him. I'm sure James Lipton was up his ass. You got to come on the show. You gotta... So he probably was like, you know what? I'm going to get this fucking guy off my back and go on the fucking show. And then he can stop calling me. I bet you I would put down... $5 billion, if I had $5 billion. If I had it, I would put that down. Because if you watch that, if you have access to watch that actor's studio with Robert De Niro as the guest, do you agree with me? I mean, it looks like he just wants to be somewhere else the whole time. So I thought I found that interesting. He is a private guy and hardly ever talks about his personal life. And he also offers very little in remarking about his acting as well. Friends have explained that, quote-unquote, he is simply not show business. People who don't know him think he's somewhere else, but he is very much there, soaking up new characters, new situations. He is always watching and observing. A fellow actor, Burt Young, defends De Niro by saying, that the both of them would leave the theater. Now, I guess they were doing a show together. Burt Young is the actor that was in the Rocky movies. He played um, uh, Adrian's brother, Paulie. That's Burt Young. I guess him and Burt were doing uh, some stage work, and the two of them would leave the theater together after the performance, and 
of course, after performances, there would always be fans outside um, just wanting autographs, getting pictures, things like that. I know because that's what I used to do. I used to wait for the actors to come out. And, you know, if they looked friendly enough, we would uh, take a picture with them or something. You know, it was fun. It was a good time. So anyways, they're coming out of practice. I'm sorry. They're coming out of a show they just did. So it's got to be at night. I'm sure it was nighttime. They come walking down the steps. And the fans come up to Burt Young. They want his autograph, his picture, so on. And Robert De Niro's just standing there. And nobody really notices him. He makes himself invisible. And Burt Young would say he did this because he's got to be. This guy is so sensitive. He has an antenna out for everybody. If he let himself, he'd be eaten alive by people. He's that giving. I want to share a quote for you given by Aaliyah Kazan to Patricia Bosworth in an article she wrote for Vanity Fair in 1987. This is a fascinating quote. But before I read it, um, I want you to remember that Kazan directed Brando, James Dean, and De Niro. Okay, so here's the quote. Brando was a rebel and a free spirit, rebelling against the bourgeois spirit of the 1940s and 50s. Dean represented the release of anger against parents, resentment at parents to understand. Jimmy was a sulky and very unpleasant person. I didn't like him very much. But De Niro? De Niro is a number of things all at once. He's a street person, and yet he's a highly sensitive man. There are a lot of people in him. He finds release and fulfillment in becoming other people. That is his pleasure, his joy. He's found his solution for living in work. I've never seen a guy who worked as hard. He's the only actor I've ever known to phone me on a Friday and say, hey, let's work all weekend together. End of quote. It just goes to show how dedicated he was to his craft. Okay, I just also want to mention, um, and I forgot to when I was talking about the taxi driver, uh, I want to revisit that for a moment to just give you this little information right here. Um, His character, Travis Bickle, sort of a controversial figure, and this is why. The assassination attempt done by John Hinckley on President Ronald Reagan, uh, Hinckley admits that he was influenced by the character Travis Bickle and said he watched the film many times. And friends of De Niro report is saying that you should never bring up the movie Taxi Driver to him because he gets extremely upset. So this John Hinckley guy watched the Taxi Driver film and it influenced him to go out and assassinate the president because Travis Bickle had in his mind that he was going to assassinate uh, Actually, it wasn't the president in the film, but a a man who was running for president. So very similar. And this uh, John Hinckley guy took it pretty personally and ended up almost killing the president because of the role of Travis Bickle. So this was a very sensitive issue for De Niro. Another tidbit I also want to mention is that De Niro was friends uh, with John Belushi. And he was actually in John's room the evening of his death. Yeah, that's, that's kind of creepy. Um, the next film I want to just lightly touch on is Angel Heart. He plays the devil in this one. And he co-stars with Mickey Rourke. And there's Rourke mentioning Rourke again. Hmm. Alan Parker, the director, states that De Niro was so creepy that he stayed away from him during his scenes. And just let him direct himself. (laughs) Now that's hilarious. Uh, The movie is creepy. uh, But I I like it. It's dark. And I guess I like creepy movies. Fall is my favorite time of year. And it's because you get to watch horror films more often. I mean you can watch a horror film whenever you want. Okay. But it gives you more of a reason. And I just enjoy them more during Halloween season. So fall is always my favorite time of year. And I don't know if I make this one. One of the ones that I need to watch every Halloween. But I do find it pretty good. It's, it's dark. 
you know, Mickey Rourke is one of my favorite actors, and De Niro is really good at playing the devil. Midnight Run is also a very fun film to watch. Uh, Charles Grodin and De Niro were funny together. Who would have thought? It, it was uh, nice to see those two working so well together with comedic timing. Um, this is actually one of my cousin's favorite movies. Uh, he always bragged about it, and it was one of those movies I had seen pieces and parts of, never from the beginning to the end. And he would always bring up Midnight Run. And I'm like, you know, I've seen it, but I don't think I've ever seen the whole thing. He's like, you got to see the whole thing. Are you crazy? So I'm like, all right, yes, yeah, so I'll have to do that. And I was really pleasantly surprised with this movie. It's good. And Charles Grodin is kind of a strange guy, but he's really funny. And De Niro and him work really well together. The best part in this one is when he visits his ex-wife and he sees his daughter for the first time in a while. And he gives a wonderful moment here. It's just really cute. And what's, what's really strange about it is, you know, Midnight Run is a comedy. But I thought that the best scene was, wasn't comedy. It was more of a touching moment between him and his daughter. A gem of a movie, and sort of a forgotten one, I think, is We're No Angels. Listen to this supporting cast. You got Sean Penn, Demi Moore, Bruno Kirby, Hoyt Axton, Wallace Shawn, and John C. Riley. Uh, if you have never seen this movie, I think you should. It's a must for me. I recommend it. Uh, it's another comedy, and you get to see Robert having fun in this film. Um, and Sean Penn is also very good in it. A, kind of a different role for him as well. He plays a real dumb guy, and it just, it works. Like, I'm not sure why it didn't do very well. It's kind of a slow-moving picture, yes. But it's a fun film to watch. Now we got to talk about Goodfellas. Bob and Marty meet. Once again, and this time, they make history in this mobster classic. A true classic film with drama, thrill, and comedy. One of those priceless works of art that I can never get tired of watching. The movie was about the real-life gangster and rat Henry Hill. And he claims De Niro chewed his ear off discussing all the minor details of the character he was playing, Jimmy. De Niro was so obsessed with detail that he wanted to know how the real Jimmy poured his ketchup. It was relayed to him how the real Jimmy poured his ketchup. And during the dinner scene, that is the way the real Jimmy would have poured his ketchup. Now that's detail. Julia Cameron, Scorsese's second wife, has said this. This is the quote. In Marty, Bobby found the one person who he could talk to for 15 minutes and how a character ties a knot. I've seen them go for it for about 10 hours at a stretch, end of quote. At one point, De Niro turned down a million dollars for a small role in A Bridge Too Far because he told friends the director would not sit down and talk to him about the role he was offered. So there you go right there. That goes to show you that if De Niro felt that the director didn't want to communicate with him, that no matter how much he was going to get paid, he wasn't going to do it. It wasn't about money with De Niro. It never was. It was always about the role. I also have to mention this. During my research of this film, I found out that Marlon Brando tried to persuade Scorsese to not make this picture. You know, It's really weird because there really isn't information as to why Brando wanted Scorsese to drop the film. Um, I looked it up, and from what I get, Brando said it would just be a bad idea uh, and, and the wrong choice by Scorsese to do this because he would be regurgitating his earlier films like Mean Streets and uh, what was that other one that he said? There was this other one that he said that was too much like it. Hold on. Oh yeah, Raging Bull. Really? Yeah, you know what? I'm glad Marty didn't listen to Brando here. I, I don't think Brando knew what he was talking about. I don't think Raging Bull is that much the same thing as Mean Streets or Goodfellas. Mean Streets maybe, but I don't know. I guess maybe he just warned him, listen, if you're going to go into this Goodfellas film, make sure 
that you don't make it like Mean Streets. I mean, that's the only thing I can think of. But I'm glad Marty went ahead and didn't take Brando's advice there and made this picture. De Niro used all of his detailed work and gave us one hell of a performance. So concentrated and real. The guy was determined in how he went about his work. Just take a look at the scene in which him and Pesci kicked the living shit out of Billy Bats. That was a character that ended up in the trunk and told Tommy to get his shine box. Watch his face, and I'm talking about De Niro. Watch his face as he's kicking Billy. I mean, really watch his face. I mean, he's... There's something about De Niro. I don't know what's going on in his head, but he is... I don't want to say he's enjoying kicking the shit out of him, but, uh... Uh... Yeah, okay, maybe I am. Yeah, I think he is. I mean, he is enjoying kicking the shit out of this guy. Awakenings is a special film. You get to see Bob play a different kind of character. A different kind of acting for him, I think. My brother Dave and I talk about De Niro, and this film always comes up because my brother thinks that this is the best acting he has ever done. And he may be right. I think it's because it is out of his normal rem characters. It's a sweet film, and Robin Williams brings his brilliance as well. De Niro was nominated for Best Actor for this role. Scorsese and De Niro will hook up once again in Cape Fear. Very scary De Niro, but a playful De Niro. He would spend a lot of time researching sexual predators and created the scene where his character bites the victim. And it is reported that he worked out to get his body fat to only 3%. The guy was all muscle for this one. He gets so into his character, it's, it's scary. And he also scared Marty as well. With the accent he used, it creeped him out. And Bobby would call up Marty randomly and leave messages on his machine using the accent to scare the shit out of him and just creep him out. Uh, here's a couple more tidbits, and this is incredible. De- this is unbelievable. De Niro paid a dentist $5,000 to make his teeth look a certain way for the film. And when the movie was over, he paid another $20,000 to get them fixed back the way they were before. What? I. Wow. That's all I got to say. Wow. Okay. Bobby shows his brilliance in the film when he is tied up on the boat and him and Nick Nolte are clobbering one another, well, Bobby drifts out in the sea, right? And is about to die. He goes into this really weird gibberish singing that I have, I think it's in a different language because I can't understand a word he's saying. But it's super creepy. And he's just evil. It gave me the chills. Every time I see that that part, that scene, and then they're looking at each other like, like De Niro's eyes, you can only see like his eyes before he drowns. And him and Nolte are looking at one another. Kind of corny, but it works. De Niro dedicated the film A Bronx Tale to his father, Robert Sr. Robert directed this film, which was written by fellow actor Chaz Palmentieri. He had Chaz involved with every aspect of the picture, and it's a good film. Next up is Casino. Let's do it again, De Niro and Scorsese. Why not? They work well together, obviously, because it seems that every single movie they made together was a smash hit. These two love working together. It had a similar feel to Goodfellas, but you get to see more of De Niro in this one. The character loves his casino and will do anything to protect it. Sharon Stone is tremendous, and was nominated for an Academy Award. I absolutely love her scenes. And De Niro's character wants her to love him so much. It's really sad. This is a film that needs to be talked about in its own episode eventually, and I'll probably do that. Um, So I will leave it right there, so I could talk more in depth about this wonderful film sometime in the near future. But for now, we're going to go on and talk about Heat. It seems to me that Casino and Heat were filmed pretty close together. Both films are each around three hours long. De Niro was a busy man. I'm finding that the quote Aaliyah Kazan 
had that I had mentioned before about De Niro is so true. And that is he discovered his reason for living. And that was his passion for his work. I remember being so excited to watch this film for the first time way back in the day. I was itching at the idea of seeing Bobby and Al Pacino in the same movie for the first time. Two Titans, right? I wasn't disappointed. The scene they had in the diner over a cup of coffee didn't disappoint. Uh, The film called The Fan with Wesley Snipes isn't the best picture isn't the best film, but Bobby's character is really screwed up in this movie. Uh, he's good at playing these obsessive roles. He may use his obsessive behavior of the way he goes about his work and stuff like that and place it into his characters. I think that in that sense, he can relate to that in, in that way of, of uh, searching for the inner core of his character, and it works out pretty well. I want to bring up Sleepers as well because I feel this movie... It's kind of underrated. I think it was big when it first came out because it had a bunch of stars in it. Uh, But I think it really fell off the map. And you really don't hear about it anymore. Um, De Niro is not in it that much. And it's kind of disappointing because I really like that character. Uh, But his performance is noticeable. And he plays a priest. And it was refreshing to see him in that kind of role. There are a string of some very good films by De Niro, like Marvin's Room with a young DiCaprio, Copland with Sylvester Stallone and Ray Liotta, Jackie Brown with director Quentin Tarantino. Not a big fan of this one, and I love Tarantino. I just didn't care for this one too much, and I've tried watching it again and again. This is just not for me, I guess. Um, I really like Wag the Dog, in which he stars with Dustin Hoffman. I recommend that film. De Niro surprised a lot of people with his acting and comedic timing and analyzed this and would set up his future success in Meet the Parents. We seem to have forgotten his performance in Midnight Run with Charles Grodin. De Niro's funny. The scene in Analyze This where he's crying in front of Billy Crystal really shows his depth and range. You know, Mr. Tough Guy is losing his shit and there's nothing he can do about it. Because he's all fucked up. I just felt that that scene must have been difficult to do. Meet the Parents is a classic film and De Niro hits it out of the park. I really feel sorry for Greg. Which was Ben Stiller's character. I mean, that is every husband or future husband's nightmare. Is going and meeting your future father-in-law. And he's he's just an asshole. You know, this stuck up asshole, you know guy is good enough for my daughter so on and so forth you never want to have to go through something like that and you don't ever want to wish that on anyone and when he says uh, uh, you know can you milk me Greg Greg can you milk me you know, what a dick <laughs> I know he's such a dick you know he says that to be a dick and you know what it worked pretty well and De Niro throughout that whole film except for the end of course is that exactly a dick I'm jumping a bit ahead here, but I want to discuss Silver Linings Playbook. Love this film. Deserves its own episode, but if you haven't seen this one yet, and I'm sure most people have, this is a must-see because of all the main characters in this film. All of them are great, and all of them deserved Oscar nominations. I want to point out that De Niro has a touching little moment with his son when he tells him, that he wishes they were closer. Bobby's latest work consists of noteworthy films like The Killing Season, Joy, and The Comedian. He has been nominated for seven Academy Awards, winning two. He has been nominated for Taxi Driver, The Deer Hunter, Awakenings, Cape Fear, and Silver Linings Playbook. And he won the Academy Award for The Godfather 2, and Raging Bull. Before I end this podcast, I wanted to share with you a personal story I have about Robert De Niro. Now, my wife worked at a sporting goods store in New York City, downtown Manhattan, called City Sports. It was in the City Court building. I actually worked in the same building she did. Uh, I worked at Houston's restaurant back in the late 90s, and she worked at City Sports. Well, one day, 
she came home and she said, you will not believe who I just met. I said, who, what? Tell me. She goes, Robert De Niro. I said, get the hell out of here. Don't fuck with me. She's like, no, I swear to God, he came in the store today. It was great. He seems like a really nice guy, really quiet, but he came in today. I said, well, tell me about it. What the hell happened? And she said, well, he came in with his two kids. I guess she says that they look like twins and they were really young. She said like two or three years old. And one of them he had on his shoulders carrying around. And I guess what happened was he bought a book bag at City Sports and my wife rang him up and uh, she had trouble taking off that little doohickey that's on all of the the clothes and all of the other things at a sporting goods store that you have to take off before they leave so the alarms don't go off. Well, my wife Amy had a hard time getting this thing off because she was so nervous. And she's like, okay, this is Robert De Niro. I have to hurry this up. And you know that. When you try to do something real quick to get something done right away, it takes longer. That's just reality. So he was waiting patiently, and uh, she finally got it off. She rang up his credit card, handed it back, the receipt to him. And he looked at her, nodded his head, and pushed the receipt back to her as a little gesture to, hey, keep the receipt, keep the autograph. How about that? We kept that receipt framed in our little apartment in New York City until we left. And I actually think we put it in our house for a few years as well. It was a yellow little receipt with Robert De Niro's signature on it. So a cute little story about Robert De Niro. He's a New York guy. I guess you'd see him around. And my wife did. And I was so jealous. Oh, so that's so cool. So I talked to her again about it last night. And I wanted to get a little more detail because it it's been a while since she told me that story. So I thought that would be of note to put into this uh, episode of Robert De Niro. Okay. Robert De Niro is a dedicated and a super talented artist. His confidence and presence on film can leave you holding your breath. A character like Travis Bickle is a staple in film history. He holds many secrets close to him and for reason. He lets these secrets seep out of him in front of the camera for us to see. Thank you, Bobby, for giving all of yourself to the audience. It comes out quite clear. Fantastic work from a dedicated and hardworking actor. Probably one of the best in the business. And thank everyone for listening to this episode honoring Robert De Niro. And I hope he brings us more and more great films down the road. Uh, thanks everyone for listening, and I want to point out that please subscribe to the podcast, tell your friends, give reviews, it really helps me out, and I want to go ahead and let you know that the next episode is going to be about Al Pacino, we will cover him next, like Bobby, I think I know some things about Pacino, but we'll see, it should be a lot of fun to talk about him. And I will end this podcast by saying, put in a movie tonight. I have a big day tomorrow. Um, I work for a college, and our first day back to school is tomorrow. So I will be working hard tomorrow, kind of a big day. So I'm a little tense. I get stressed out like that. I just That's just the way I am. Like my mom's side of the family, we're, you know, we're just nervous people. I can't help it, you know. So I'm not going to sleep much tonight. So... If I get into one of those nights where I'm restless and I can't sleep and I'm just, my head's full of God knows what, everything I got to do the next day, I will go ahead, sneak downstairs and just put something on. And for some reason, I think back to a couple of years ago that uh, I was doing pretty much the same thing. I went downstairs and I put a movie in and I uh, watched, what was that with Ray Liotta where he's in... Um, this, this prison on an island. No escape. No escape. It's like one of my favorite films to watch if I can't fall asleep. I don't. For some You know why? Because that night where I couldn't fall asleep, I watched that movie and it relaxed me. So ever since then, you know, it's like, oh, well, that movie worked. You know, it relaxed me. So whenever I can't sleep, I want to watch that film. So who knows? I may be watching that one in the middle of the night tonight. <laughs> God, I hope I have a good day tomorrow. I always get nervous about this. I mean, it usually goes well. 
So I hope and pray I have a good day. And I hope you have a great day too. So sit back, relax, put in a movie that you enjoy. Thank you so much for listening once again to The Actors Room. God bless you. Have a good one. Thank you.